There's like a force greater than me that no matter how hard I'm trying, I can't seem to be able to control it. Everything just feels like it's in a fog. Felt like I wasn't worthy or I was doing something wrong because I'm having all these terrible thoughts. At first it really hurts and then after a while it just feels numb. Uh, when I was by myself, I was had a lot of uh, self-doubt. I didn't feel hope. I didn't know how to feel hope. I felt so alien. I felt so alone. I thought everybody was just against me or something. I even found myself at one time yelling in prayer, expressing my anger that this wouldn't stop. I was really broken. I, I felt like I had no control of my emotions. It's like water torture. It's just there. It just never lets up. I had the feeling a long time ago that it was a very large problem in varying degrees, some severe, some not so severe, but lots of people who struggle with this. I get those impressions, as the brethren do when we pray about our general conference topics. I just knew that at some point, some day, I wanted to give that talk and waited for the what I felt was the right time and that's kind of how my talks come and that's how that one came and seemed like uh, the time and the place to do it. Aloha. Welcome to LDS Real People Real Life's podcast and this is Stephanie Colvin and I am your host This week, we're going to be talking about mental health and mental illness, how we can support those who struggle. Um, This topic is one that seems to cover the earth and be very prevalent in our day. Um, But in this episode, I'm going to be talking about some very mature themes. So if you have little ears that can hear, this episode may be best listened to while alone it's my greatest hope that what is shared today will help those who hear it in some way that only the spirit of god even the holy ghost knows how to help the individual best i hope that you can feel the spirit of a loving heavenly father and redeemer jesus christ who longed to succor and love you ever so perfectly elder holland gave a talk back in general conference october of 2013 called Like a Broken Vessel. It is a popular talk. I'm sure you've heard about it and um, probably read it or listened to it yourself. And I will be taking excerpts from that talk for the purposes of this episode today. And I've also used the Gospel Library app. When you're at home on the app, go to self-help, then mental health, and you can look at the information there. I've been very impressed with the structure and resources that the church has assembled on this topic, and I'm so very happy that the church as an organization talks openly about mental health and how we can assist those around us as they journey forward with their trials. Mental illness can be a brutal um, uh, disease at times, and in some cases it's, it's daily. So what would the Lord have us do to help our brothers and sisters with this trial of the spirit and mind? And here are some statistics put out by the church regarding mental illness. 
One in four people in the world will be affected by mental illness at some point in their lives. More than 16 million U.S. adults had at least one major depressive episode in the past year. These numbers are shocking and staggering, and one would reasonably ask, why? Why is this such a prevalent issue in our day? Or has this been an issue amongst the children of God since the beginning of time? Whatever the reason, it is here and it's not going anywhere for now. And we must face it, we must talk about it openly, and we must be there for each other. Compassion goes a long way. Whether or not we understand, we can be compassionate and empathetic. I often wondered why I had been exposed to mental illness since I can remember. As a little girl, I was uh, raised around my uncle who uh, was schizophrenic and my grandma would pick me up from school and I would spend my time there until my parents were off work. And um, he was a very smart, intelligent man. As a matter of fact, when I would do my homework after school, I would cheat and ask him for the answers of the questions. So I would just read the question and he would give me the answer. He was just so brilliant. But I knew that something was wrong. I knew that something was different. Um, I knew that he wasn't like my dad or my mom or myself or even my grandparents. But what I recognized in him was this brilliance that he had. And he was very, very childlike. And he would laugh and giggle a lot. And he was so much fun to be around. Um, but he did do some very strange things that at the time was not strange to me because of course I was raised around him. But I still picked up the fact that some of these things just were not uh, quote unquote normal. And uh, there were times that he would act out. Um, I remember one time I was playing with, uh, I think I was about six or seven years old, and my grandmother had this cane, and it was this beautiful wooden cane, and I was playing with it. And um, my favorite superhero at the time was Wonder Woman. And I remember just twirling that cane around and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, not realizing that he was walking up behind me. And uh, when I had twirled it, I had hit him in a very sensitive spot. And I immediately stopped and looked up at him and the, his eyes gave it away. And I knew immediately to get out of there. And I ran for my life to go find my grandma who happened to be working out in the yard in the backyard. And I went and hid behind her and he came running after me. And I ran like I had the hellhounds after me um, because I could see in his eyes the wildness of the mental illness. Although I didn't understand it at such a young age, what I did understand is that I needed to get out there and get to the protection of my grandmother, who then took care of the situation, was able to defuse it. And I felt so bad. I remember later on after he had calmed down, he was sitting in his room and uh, he spent a lot of time in his room. And I went over there and I just kind of peeked in and was gauging how he felt about me. And he looked over at me and I could tell he was still struggling. And I remember just kind of looking at him and wanting to tell him that I was sorry, but I was so, I was so afraid to speak because I wasn't sure what he was going to do. 
As I got older, uh, he ended up moving into our home with my grandmother as she started to deteriorate from just, you know, natural health and illness as you get older from old age. And um, he was always uh, very fidgety and he needed to smoke. I mean, his cigarettes were his best friend and he smoked a lot. And uh, you could just tell when he was smoking that he was in the throes of some kind of schizophrenic episode and um, just doing the best that he could do to deal with it. Now he was on medication, but um, this was something that had manifested itself after a terrible experience he had in the military right out of high school uh, that triggered um, or was the catalyst for his schizophrenia and it manifested itself very violently. Early on in his uh, mental health um, crises, he was violent and they had to hospitalize him. Um, he stayed in that hospital for some time. I know that he went home and um, I don't remember all the details or all the facts of his situation, but he was uh, very violent at first with his mental illness. When my grandmother and grandfather moved to the mainland here in California to be closer to uh, the grandchildren, um, my grandmother had gotten baptized and at that point when she was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there was a change that manifested itself in my uncle and he became more manageable. Um, the most violent part of the mental illness just was subdued or went away. And um, my father and I, we really see that as a blessing of her choice to come unto the Lord and to be faithful and to accept Christ and to be born anew and to be accepted into Christ church here on earth. However, when he stayed with us as I was growing up, going through junior high and high school, we had played a lot of music in our home. And so while we would play that music, we would sing, we would dance, and my uncle would get in on it with us and he would dance with us and he would just laugh and laugh and laugh. And I just remember him being so childlike and I just had so much fun with him. And my heart was always filled with so much love for him. But I knew that there were things that he was continuing to deal with. Now, his mental illness didn't go away. Um, sometimes he would take the bus to go see a movie or to go grab food. And um, he would do weird things while he was out and about. Uh, and we would only find out because somebody would report it to the police. And then the police would um, find out who he is and then bring him home. This happened, I want to say, twice. And that was towards the end of his life when, as he was getting older, the schizophrenia was just getting um, a little bit more prevalent. So my parents ended up finding a very good home for him. Um the first home was not a good home. Um, they were doing horrible things to the people there. Thankfully, my mom, who is sharp as a tack and um, just, she's very intelligent, very spiritual. Uh, she had an impression one day at work and she took the time off, went to go check on my uncle, showed up at the home and found that the caregiver was drunk 
and uh, that there were some burn marks on my uncle's arm. So she immediately took him out of that home, brought him home and uh, as much as they could get into the car of his stuff. And my mom prayed, she's a very faithful woman. Um, she believes in the power of prayer and she prayed and asked for help and was able to find this other home that was just perfect for him. And they were so good to him. Um, and that's where he lived out the rest of his life. But I will always have these wonderful memories of dancing in the house to music or even outside in the garage or in the yard and just his smile, his innocence, um, his intelligence and his sense of humor. I uh, have so much love for him and I look forward to being reunited with him um, one day. So that was the beginning of my experience with mental illness, even though I didn't really know it was mental illness. Um, as I got older, I became someone who uh, wanted to defend those with disabilities, whether it be physical or mental. And this is very much ingrained in my DNA and who I am. Um, I have <clears throat> developed a huge amount of compassion and empathy for people who have mental challenges or even physical challenges and uh, I believe that this has been part of my education here on earth and sort of my mission and what I'm supposed to do to help those around me has been evidenced by my life as I continue to push forward in this mortal experience. Um, so after my uncle, uh, I had my children when I was 19 and 21, my younger son, developed a learning disability and it was evident in kindergarten and uh, socially he was on point academically he really struggled and the teacher wanted to keep him back another year which I look back at that now and that was such a tough decision to make I was such a young mom and uh, really struggled with knowing what to do at that time I wasn't in the gospel and um, I wouldn't have prayed about it and uh, went ahead and trusted the teacher who happened to be my kindergarten teacher. And I just really remembered her with fond thoughts and feelings. And so I trusted her. Um, I think that it was the right decision, but unfortunately my younger son felt throughout his school career that he was inferior and he it immediately gave him a chip on his shoulder because he developed a number of friends in that first year of kindergarten. So every year that he would go into first grade, second grade, and so on, he would always see these people and it would be a constant reminder of how he wasn't good enough. And uh, I wouldn't have thought about that being a young mom at that time, that this is something that he would struggle with, but it affected him throughout his whole high school career and has really helped shape who he is today as an adult. And uh, it's his trial to overcome. And so far, you know, he's 27 and he still deals with uh, some insecurities and self-esteem issues from it. But um, he's starting to mature and understand that these are experiences that we have in life to overcome and to learn to discipline ourselves and our mind and learn to love ourselves and the way that we come instead of waiting for us to be perfect. When he hit junior high, 
uh, his therapist wanted him on medication to help him with the ADD. And um, that's when I was really just torn. I didn't want my son to be on medication. I was really worried about the side effects. Um, However, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to give him every chance that was at our disposal to help him with school. So we tried the medication, but unfortunately, it made him feel more often than not like a zombie. And, uh, you know, with any type of medication that's um, given, you have to give it what I call a, a learning curve of six to eight weeks before you really know if it's going to work. And then at that time, if it doesn't work or if you need to tweak it, you've got to make those changes. And then you've got to do another learning curve of six to eight weeks to see if it's going to work. And for somebody at that age in junior high, they're not going to do that. And I remember he just got to the point where he put his foot down and said, I'm not doing this anymore. And just watching him and everything that he was going through, my heart just (laughs) cried out for him. And I just, it just bled for him. So I agreed. And um, you can't force a young man to take medication he doesn't want to take. And so needless to say, he charged forward in his schooling. But he really, really struggled And because of those struggles, it put him on a path of just um, darkness and rebellion. And um, he really struggled to love himself. I I have permission for my son to share and to be open. And I'm grateful for those that are around me that have allowed me to be so open so that I can remain true to the premise of the podcast which is LDS, real people, real lives, and how we use the gospel of Jesus Christ to reconcile the heart in our lives. So moving forward, he, I noticed the first thing he would do is he would use erasers to mark things into his skin. And then I found um, one day when I was in cleaning his room, because we had shared custody, so my kids were never home on the weekends. Um, I found a razor. And at that time, I heard a lot about cutting and how kids his age were doing that, that were just really suffering from depression and uh, just really struggling with who they were and understanding their their trials and their hardships and their sorrows. So, I didn't wait for him to come home. I went over to his grandmother's house on his dad's side, which is where they stayed on the weekends, and talked to him. He wasn't forthcoming, but I knew that my son needed me in very exceptional ways and had to uh, step up to the mark and help him. And um, I did that, honestly. Um, with a good heart, with a willing heart. I wanted to help my son in any way I could. I too struggled as a teenager because of my own abuse and things that I had gone through. It had just made my mind just different. And I always felt weird and different because when the abuse was happening, that's when 
um, a lot of the behaviors and your brain as you're developing as a young child, a lot of those behaviors were being set. And so I could understand somewhat what my son was going through and I really wanted to help him. And so I took him to therapists, you know, some therapists are good, some aren't. And uh, he told me when he was in his 20s of a therapist that he would talk to that would tell him to shut up in the session. And um, I said, how come he didn't tell me that he was telling you to shut up? And he says, mom, I didn't know that that was wrong. And this is what's so hard about being an adolescent and having these mental health challenges um, as you're having to trust these practitioners and the kids don't know if the therapy is right or wrong. Um, thankfully, we didn't see that gentleman more than, I think, twice. But we ran into a couple of other therapists that weren't very good either until as he got older, we finally found one um, who was just excellent. And uh, she really helped him a lot because when my son graduated from high school and that transition is already hard enough from adolescence to adulthood, <clears throat> he really floundered and struggled and he was just filled with so much anger. Um, anger coming from the fact that he felt like everybody in his whole life and everything was just against him. And uh, she really helped him with that in so many ways and helped him to build a tool chest to help deal with the inevitable challenges of life and the confrontations and the conflicts and the hardships that we face. And I will forever be grateful to her. As he got older, into his early 20s, he was diagnosed with bipolar depression. And even recently, he said, Mom, I need to get back on my medication because I'm really struggling. So this is going to be potentially a lifelong issue for him. Something that I've been living with and fighting for. I've fought for him his whole life. I've had to do research when... There wasn't, um, we had internet, but it was dial up and we didn't have all the resources that we have now. And here I was trying to do as much research as I could to help my son. And it took a lot of time, effort, energy on top of that, as well as having to work and provide for my kids. And it was a lot, but it was something I willingly did because there's no greater investment than your family and your children. And um, so there's that experience and that living this life and being exposed to my uncle, also my auntie who had bipolar, and I spent a lot of time with her growing up. Um, She was one of my favorite aunts and I love her and I cannot wait to be reunited with her. I look forward to being with her and my uncle without these struggles without these mental challenges and just getting them as their whole self. I cannot wait. Um, So I asked myself in my early 30s, why am I surrounded by so many people that have mental health issues? I even had friends who had mental health issues. There's something about me that um, people just find me and they want to talk to me about these things. Um, Even when I was in school, I would notice my friends who would be struggling with mental health issues 
and um, I would want to take them home and help them and, you know, ask my parents to help them and we would do whatever we could to provide some sort of stability in their lives. Um, But I've always had people around me that have struggled with mental health and illness in some way, fashion or form. So in my early 30s, I remember going to Heavenly Father in prayer and just asking him why. Why am I surrounded by this constantly? At that time, I wasn't back in the gospel and I hadn't um, really prayed a lot. I remember I felt compelled to have that conversation with God because of what I was going through with my younger son. Um, I don't really remember getting an answer other than this is my mission in life. This is what I do. This is what he needs me to do. So fast forward to 2011 when I met my now husband. Um, I met him August of 2011. And when I met him, I just saw nothing but he had these um, eyes with shooting specks of brilliant gold as bright as the sun that just shot out of his eyes at me and it was just so bright and brilliant and exciting and it was just marvelous and I was immediately drawn in. He was very upfront with me because at this time we were well into adulthood about his mental struggles and because I had been around mental illness for so long, um, it didn't shake me at all. I was not afraid. I didn't uh, say, oh no, I'm not going to do this. It didn't put me off whatsoever. However, I had never had experience with somebody who had OCD. And uh, he has OCD and BDD, and I had never had experience with either one of those. But um, I was just drawn into him. And now I know it's because we were meant to be together. Um, But at the time, I just, uh, I could feel it and I could see it, especially as time went on and we continued to see each other. Um, But not at any time did I get a red flag. Not at any time did I feel like I needed to uh, stop seeing him and, and cut this short. If anything, I felt like this was my eternal companion. So therefore, I'm going to do anything that he needs help with. And um, as I got further and further into the relationship, I started to really understand how strong his OCD is. I like to externalize it. It's like a little OCD minion that I imagine to be like a little alien from some crazy OCD planet. Um, Because I have to separate his OCD and mental illness from who he truly is as a child of God. If I was to take personally everything that he did um, at times that were offensive or could be hurtful, my feelings would be hurt all the time. But I've had to learn that uh, when he's in the throes of his OCD, not to take these things personally. And I've had to learn a lot of patience You know, you hear about long-suffering. I didn't really have a clue what long-suffering was 
until I met my husband and we've lived out the last 10 years of our life together. Long suffering is patience and love. Long suffering is willing to um, not engage, not to argue, not to push your feelings or thoughts or what you feel needs to be done or is right um, on the person. This is a delicate balance that I'm grateful to be back in the gospel for because I need the guidance of the spirit. I am someone who's always struggled with my temper and I've been very reactionary throughout my life. I can't be that way with my husband. If I was, our our world, our home would be in constant turmoil and chaos. And so I've had to learn that when he has OCD episodes, to be quiet and to let him get things off his chest. I liken it to, you know, hitting the steam button. He's just got to let some steam off. And once he does, it happens and very quickly, just as quickly as he pops off, he seeks forgiveness and wants to make sure that I'm okay. But at the same time, he also needs a lot of love himself. And, you know, it's interesting because he's always pulled up my heartstrings in several different ways. As a companion and partner, as someone who I love, but also he tugs on my mother's strings a lot. He's very childlike sometimes, especially when he's going through his mental challenges. Um, He's very striking in the things that he says to be like a seven or eight-year-old boy. And uh, he needs the love of a woman he's always been drawn to, very compassionate and loving women in his life. And that's because that's what he needs, as he kind of needs like a mom in that moment. And I've had to learn how, at first I thought that was kind of weird, but as we charged forward in our relationship, especially through um, therapy, because I would go with him to his therapy sessions, um, and it was mostly for me to learn about his OCD and BDD, how I can help him, how we can help each other, how we can have the best possible, most healthy relationship given with what we're dealing with. And um, also so that he can understand, you know, what he can do to make this relationship a thriving relationship of love and affection. And uh, it's been quite an experience. There's times where I really say to God, like, this is too much. This is just way too much because it's a lot. Anybody who's lived with somebody who's been mentally ill, Um, I'm sure you guys can understand what I'm talking about. Um, There are times that I feel like I go down the rabbit hole. And I call it the rabbit hole because I don't know what else to call it, but it's the crazy, crazy world. And um, where nothing makes sense and everything is driven by the mental illness and there's no common sense whatsoever. And, you know, with mental illness, oftentimes they're developing these alternate realities And they're responding to these alternate realities as if they're real. And so 
thankfully we've had the gospel we've had priesthood blessings um, therapy has helped a lot medication has helped a lot and i'm grateful that the church promotes that we do everything and all that's at our disposal to help ourselves not just spiritually but also physically mentally and you know temporally that we do take advantage of modern day medicine and uh, therapeutics and get the help that we need in order to do what the Lord has asked us to do, which is to endure. And uh, there have been improvements made with my husband, especially since I met him. Um, He has received many blessings for coming into the faith and being baptized. Most importantly, the more volatile side of his OCD has been subdued, which I've been very, very grateful for. Um, But this is still a prevalent part of our life that we live with every day. So do I have my answer to the question, why is my life like this? Why am I surrounded by mental illness? Upon further reflection, of course, hindsight being 2020, and then with the added bonus of the insight that only the Holy Ghost can give us, I was being prepared. I was being prepared to come into my husband's life and to live the rest of our mortal probation together, um, to be there. And it is the divine combination of the two of us that helps us to be all that we can be to fulfill the measure of our creation. We fully understand that without each other, we could not do that. But with each other, we do do that and we do it every day. And it's been marvelous to see I journal about it a lot because it's absolutely fascinating. And if there's one thing that I would like to share with you from my own personal experience is that Christ truly does live and he knows perfectly how to uh, comfort us, how to mourn with us, how to ride that train of sorrow with us because we are going to go through these emotions and these feelings and these these times in our lives. Um, The one poignant thing, though, that I've really learned from doing this with the Savior and him sharing his yoke with me is that he says, okay, that's enough. Now we need to rise and we need to do the best that we can. And with the Savior, when we rise, we become at that moment in time, all that we can be. I really believe that um, the gospel is general in its teachings with doctrines and principles, but that it's unique in how it applies in each of our lives. And so I hope that whatever I'm sharing today can, first of all, give you hope and know that you're not alone. Secondly, help you to feel my faith as only the Spirit can convey to you. That even though there have been times where we have wished to move on past this probation here on earth and just be done with it, we have come to satisfactorily understand that it's the Lord's timing and it's the Lord's will. By adopting the Lord's will and waiting upon the Lord, 
our lives have been blessed in magnificent ways. I think most importantly, the finger of the Lord has been revealed to us just as it was revealed to Jared when he was asking the Lord how to light the interior of the ships as they traveled across the sea. Did we actually see the Lord's finger? No, but spiritually we did. And these are the experiences that we're meant to have here that's going to be part of our education as we prepare ourselves to present ourselves to the Lord when we pass from this education here on earth. for trying to breathe and my patriarch blessing came into my head so many beautiful promises that I was sure I had lost the opportunity for <laughs> I needed to feel like there was someone there who understood what I caught was this warmth of a promise. And so I took that small piece of hope and said, I will try. And in return I got, and I'll be there. We, we do the best we can, we, we manage the situation, but when we've done all we can do, uh, you endure. Hang in there and press forward and be steadfast and uh, count on light at the end of the tunnel and a blessing at the end of the day. Heavenly Father really just does love us for our intrinsic value as his children. He does not love us because of our strengths or our weaknesses or because of anything we do or anything we don't do. And it's not something we deserve and it's not something that we earn. It just is. And it's always going to be there. And so when I realized that even though I felt like this pile of brokenness on the floor, the Heavenly Father still loved me, I think that's when I was able to then realize that I was worth loving and it was worth getting better. And that's when I let the Savior start to heal me. So you, you think you're a broken vessel, and lo and behold, in the miracle of the gospel, you get your vessel healed, whole, back, put back together. And uh, that's the hope that everybody needs to have, physical illness, mental illness, and it's hope with a capital H. I mean, it's doctrinal. It's not just wish. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm talking about doctrinal hope that God's grace is sufficient. So now I wanted to talk about the material that the church has put out. And I think it's been assembled well. And um, I really agree with what they're encouraging us to do to support those around us with mental health challenges. You know, and I apologize that I say I'm a lot, but I'm really trying to be aware of my words and the words that I use. Um, making sure that I'm communicating effectively, but most importantly, that I am saying what the Spirit is prompting me to say. So I appreciate your patience.
The Savior loves each of his father's children, and he fully comprehends the pain and struggle that we experience here on earth. And there is a broad range of mental health challenges. Um, The Savior suffered pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind, taking upon him the pains and the sickness of his people. And that's Alma chapter 7, verse 11. He did this because he understands all afflictions and he knows how to heal the brokenhearted. Because he experienced this, because he went through the pain, because he was allowed to suffer in Gethsemane, he knows how to perfectly be our healer. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That last part, to set at liberty them that are bruised, just really strikes me, because oftentimes I feel from my life that I'm bruised. And I'm grateful to have the perfect healer as my companion. The reality of living with mental health challenges differs from person to person. Symptoms are different. Concerns are different. Level of intensity of mental illness is different. Um, I know in my home, my son and my husband have two different diagnoses, but they manifest their mental illness in very similar ways. And uh, it's been quite fascinating to watch between the two of them but uh, I'm thankful for the spirit that dwells here there's uh, we're very vigilant about keeping our home as temple like as possible that we live a life where the spirit can dwell here even though I've got two people here that aren't a part of the church Um, We do our best to keep it where the spirit can dwell here. And that seems to give everyone peace. As a matter of fact, my brother that moved in here most recently, just needing some help for a little while, um, said that he hasn't experienced such peace in his life in quite some time. And I'm grateful for the spirit of the Holy Ghost and the power that comes from having the spirit in our home. So I think that, you know, what the church is encouraging us to do is very helpful, such as watching your words. Your language can change perceptions, avoid potentially harmful or negative phrases, and choose words that are more descriptive of what you observe. We're not perfect. All we can do is the best that we can. Be a friend. Listen patiently and without judgment when others share their concerns. Help them maybe to locate professional resources if they need additional support. Um, Also, practice self-care. This is a big one for me. I tend to put myself last and that doesn't work out well ever. The limitations of mortality may require us to slow down and restore our strength at certain times. And it's not selfish to take time for yourself. And it truly isn't. We must take time for ourselves, especially if we have a chance in heck of helping the ones that are the closest to us, the ones that we care about the most, that are truly just suffering. 
Um, It is hard to see loved ones struggle. And what can we do to help them? Um, There are many ways that we can support our loved ones. And that includes to keep that communication channel open. Talk to them. Talk to them the way you did before their symptoms became noticeable or before their diagnoses. Ask questions instead of guessing what might be helpful. Understand limits. Mental illness can reduce energy and motivation. Recognize that it may be hard for your loved one to read, to pray, or participate in activities with others. And keep inviting them to do these things, but don't take it personally if they turn you down. This is something that I've really had to learn, especially as my husband and I do our personal scripture studying. Um, A lot of times I'm the one that's doing the reading. I'm the one that's answering the questions. And um, I'm the one that's doing all the talking. And I miss his input. I miss his feedback because I need to hear his faith. But I have to be patient. Um, Encourage them to get professional help. Like I said, I think therapy is huge. Be sensitive and kind in making the suggestion. Instead of saying, something's wrong with you, you need therapy. Try saying something such as, I'm happy to listen to you when you want to talk. But you might want to find someone with more training to help too. Uh, Something else that you can do is to practice self-care. Stress can be very harmful to your health as well. Um, And we talked about this. We need to take time for ourselves by doing something that we enjoy each day. And that might be a few minutes of reading a book, listening to music, maybe just going out and sitting in nature or drawing something. You might also consider talking with your bishop or ministering brother or sister or attending a support group in your area. I've been a part of an OCD support group that's actually online for the last seven years and it's been extremely helpful at the very least to know that I'm not alone. Uh, We can also show compassion express your concern for them and you offer your support don't minimize their struggle and don't compare their experience to someone else's telling them to snap out of it or try harder or just to stop is not likely to help and could just add strain to the relationship or cause further discouragement um so we must be vigilant in our interaction with them but this can put a lot of pressure on the caregiver on the one that's there the most. So instead of being so super hyper aware of everything I'm saying and doing, I just try to make sure that um, I do it to the best of my ability. And sometimes I will say things that will trigger my husband or my son. And I am not responsible for that. I can't keep a list of words that are gonna trigger them, but I just do the best I can. And if it's triggering in some way, then I just try to help them through that and rectify that as best as possible. But at some point, they're going to have to be able to self-soothe and work through that on their own too, because we cannot do everything for them. When someone feels depressed or anxious, it doesn't mean that they are considering suicide. However, learning the common warning signs of suicide can help you know when to seek additional help and prevent a crisis. Um, So the most common signs are, and this has been put out by the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, um, it includes talking about wanting to die or to kill themselves, looking for a way to kill themselves, such as searching online or buying a weapon, 
talking about feeling hopeless or having no reason to live, talking about feeling trapped or in unbearable pain, talking about being a burden to others, increasing the use of alcohol or drugs, or acting anxious or agitated, or behaving recklessly, sleeping too little or too much, withdrawing or isolating themselves, showing rage or talking about seeking revenge, displaying extreme mood swings. Any of these or a collection of these can be a sign that they need additional help. So I think it's just, we need to be super aware as much as we possibly can and help them get the help that they need. And I'll talk a little bit more about that and some of the resources that we have at the end of this episode. Um, but the number one for this particular topic, there is a site. It's preventingsuicide.churchofjesuschrist.org. And um, there's resources there. They have crisis helplines there. Um, they even have videos of people who are survivors of suicide attempts, people who have lost people um, from suicide and uh, suggestions on how to help. It also includes a section on doctrines and principles that you can pull from the gospel that will be extremely helpful as well. So once again, I've been very impressed with the church and the organization on this particular topic. I feel exhausted from worrying so much about my loved one. And maybe you felt this way, especially those who have people within their own little sphere that are dealing with mental health and illness issues. Um, It is exhausting. And so, as mentioned before, we need to take care of ourselves. If we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of our loved ones. You know, when we were baptized, we accepted the Savior's call to bear one another's burdens and to comfort those that stand in need of comfort. But he's also wisely taught that it's not necessary for us to run faster than we have strength. We must be vigilant about finding a balance between meaningful connections with other people and appropriate boundaries in our own lives. There needs to be a time and a place to address the concerns of a loved one, but allowing those concerns to dominate your thoughts and efforts is not healthy. And this is something that I've been dealing with pretty heavily in the last month and felt all consumed with, with my other son and his family and their situation that they have going on. Um, We have to have boundaries and we must find a balance in order for us to be emotionally resilient. Um, So some things that we can do to help ourselves is to counsel with others. Make an everyday effort to counsel together with your family or bishop, a mental health professional. Maybe this will be once a week. Um, But as you counsel with others, be sensitive about with whom you share vulnerable information. There are wonderful avenues to seek support that are helpful and healing. And um, just be aware of the things that you say and what you share. Maintain your health. Establish healthy routines for sleep, nutrition, exercise, and personal worship. This is something I really need to work on. I do great with sleep and uh, nutrition. I mean, exercise and personal worship. It's nutrition that I really um, struggle with. You know, food is probably an overused anxiety medication 
and that's definitely something that I do. And um, so I've actually been going to the addiction recovery class on Thursday nights to help me with that addiction. That class will help with any addiction. It doesn't have to be some massive um, drug addiction. That class will help with any addiction or any change that you need to make in your life. It truly is focused and centered around Jesus Christ and how to use our faith in him to strengthen ourselves. And we do need to practice self-care. This is huge. They keep repeating this. Um, to consider making a change in our daily routine or establishing a deliberate habit, uh, to seek pleasure in small and simple things by noticing the texture of a flower, the flavor of a favorite food, or the beauty of a bird song, practice mindfulness or another relaxation technique. Um, allow your thoughts to turn to God as you give your mind and body time to rejuvenate. And this is something that I do often. In our backyard, we have a, a barranca, which is a natural ravine. And I have a hammock out there. I will go and I will lay in the hammock. And I close my eyes and I work with my senses. What do I feel? What do I smell? And then I open my eyes. What do I see? The barranca is a migration uh, channel for monarch butterflies. We have a lot of uh, hummingbirds back there and small colorful birds that are just beautiful and gorgeous. We have the sounds of nature and the hawks and the owls that are there. And these are all things that as you um, are looking to be mindful and to really put yourself in the present that help you to, I feel immense love that Christ has developed and created a world with so much beauty for me to enjoy, even in the midst of all my hardships. And please do not hesitate to ask for help. There will definitely be times when you can't do everything you wish that you could do to help your loved one. I experience this often and it's so hard. And oftentimes I feel like I'm a failure. But one thing I've learned by studying this out in the gospel is that I'm not a failure, I just have my limits. And it's okay because we're not meant to do everything for that person. That person at some point has to learn to do for themselves. And we want them to learn how to do that with our loving support. Heavenly Father has taught that to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. So we must learn to ask for and accept support from our family, our friends, even our church community, and definitely Heavenly Father. Uh, if you have any questions after listening to this episode, please remember you can DM me on Instagram at LDSRPRL podcast, or you can even email me at LDS Real People Real Lives Podcast at gmail.com, and that is plural. And I wanted to quickly go over some of the resources. Um, find a free helpline in your area. Most areas do have a free helpline uh, for people who are struggling with mental illness and having a crisis in their life. There is the SAMHSA Disaster Distress Hotline, which in the U.S. is 800-985-5990. Or you can even text 66746, talk with us. And again, that's text 66746, talk with us. There's the National Disaster Hotline in the U.S. Um, 
and that is actually the SAMHSA Disaster Distress Hotline that I had mentioned earlier. We also have the Crisis Text Line. If you don't want to talk and you want to text, you can do that as well. So you would text 741-741 and text HOME and you can find a crisis counselor there. There's also a veterans crisis line and I, my heart goes out to our veterans. They have done so much for our country and there's a lot of them that just struggle. Uh, for veterans crisis hotline, you can dial 800-273-8255 and press option number one. There's some great caring qualified responders there from the Department of the VA, and many of them are veterans themselves. If you're listening in Australia, there's Beyond Blue. And I believe that's specifically for Australia. And that's 1300224636. We also have a worldwide resource called Befrienders Worldwide that's accessible. Um, let's see. And that's going to be befrienders.org forward slash need hyphen to hyphen talk. They do have a helpline, but it's done by country. So you'll need to go to their website, befrienders.org forward slash need hyphen to hyphen talk. Select your country, hit go, and it will provide you with the number, and that's Befrienders Worldwide. In Canada, there's Distress Center, and that's specifically for our Canadians. They do have an online chat that's available from 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. Mountain Time daily, but they do have a 24-hour crisis line that's 403-266-HELP. So that's 403-266-4357. And in China, they have Lifeline Shanghai. Now this is uh, strictly English speaking help. And they have a a live chat service that's available and that's lifeline-shanghai.com. And then in the United Kingdom, I do have listeners in the United Kingdom as well. And you guys have NHS Choices Mental Health Helplines. Again, that's NHS Choices Mental Health Helplines. And you can find them online. I'm not seeing a phone number, unfortunately, but that's going to be www.nhs.uk forward slash mental hyphen health. And you will find your options there. And then in the UK and Ireland, we have the Samaritans. And that is Samaritans.org. It says you can call them anytime at 116-123. They also have a chat online that is available. And they have a self-help app, which is pretty cool. As Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, old sailing ships had periods when the wind did not blow. They were dead in the water, but the wind will return and the sails will fill and you will come into port. 
Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I hope this episode has been helpful in some way. I felt super impressed and compelled to cover mental illness because this is something that it seems like we're all dealing with at this time, especially as we get closer and closer to the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and most importantly, stay faithful and believing. And remember to be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Until next week, much love and God bless.